Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Get into the preaching of the Word. As we dive in this morning, it's really going to be a continuation of a series called God Is that we preached from last week. And now I know that last week when we preached through the faithfulness of God, I said that it was going to be a series where we would do a message maybe once a month out of this God is, looking at the identity of God and how we see God and, and the attributes and essence of God and how we look at him. And I said, we'll probably do this once every four weeks, once every six weeks. It won't be an every week thing. But this week, as I was preparing on the holiness of God, I got so excited that I said, well, I don't really want to wait four or five weeks to preach about the holiness of God. We're going to go ahead and do that this week. I, I mean, we, we dive into this subject because it, it, I'm afraid that in America today and in our pews and in many of our churches today, we've just got a really poor idea of who God is. I mean, we say his name and call out to him when we have an itch that needs to be scratched, when we have a situation that we feel pressed, when we have these burdens that we need somebody to take them to. We don't have any problem identifying with God at that point. But my friends, when a music station can play music that glorifies every sin in the universe and glamorizes everything in the world that could go wrong and then turns around and plays a song that says, God bless the USA, we've got something wrong with our sight of who God is that thinks we can have it both ways. We can, we can glamorize sin on one hand and then ask God for his blessings on the other. When a man can gather at Neyland Stadium and spend all day cursing and drinking and lusting and, and going after all the desires of his flesh and turn around at the invocation, put his hand on his heart, look over at his neighbor in his drunken slumber and say, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we still live in a place where it's free to pray to God. That man has got a poor view of who God is because you can't get the lump in your throat and, and, and get the sin in your heart at the same time. The Bible teaches us that God is holy and, and where the light is, there can be no darkness. We can't want to live in our sin. We can't want to do those things if we have a clear glimpse of how holy God is. And so my prayer and my desire is that by the end of the day today, by the end of this message this morning, we won't know everything that we need to know about God. We won't know everything about God. But my friends, my prayer is that by the end of our message this morning, we can at least walk out of here and say this. That we know that God is holy. So let us stand to our feet in honor of the reading of his holy and inerrant, infallible word from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning... At verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you. We thank you for an opportunity to come into your house, Lord. We thank you for the freedom to worship, Lord God. God, we thank you for any presence of your spirit that we feel because we recognize that it is a gift from you, Father. 
So God, selfishly, we pray that this very morning, your Holy Spirit would rain down upon us, that none of us would be able to walk out of this place the same way that we walked in, Father God, that we would all recognize your holiness, and that we would all draw nearer to you through it, Lord God. And it is in your precious name we pray, and all of God's people said, and you may be seated. First thing we're going to look at this morning, in light of the holiness of God, is the recording of His holiness. The recording of His holiness. Peter is writing here in this sermon or this epistle, this letter. As he writes, he, he gets to verse 16 and he says, be, You shall be holy for I am holy. And as he's writing this and preaching this, he is, he is referencing from the Bible that he would have had. Peter would have had the first five books of the Old Testament with which he had to call his scripture. And so he's calling a quote from the book of Leviticus chapter eleven forty four, when it says, consecrate yourselves. God is speaking to the Israelites through Moses. He says, consecrate yourselves and, and, and be holy for I am Holy. God is saying to them, consecrate yourself, prepare yourselves, cleanse yourselves, and be holy. In other words, stop saying the things that you've been saying. Stop doing the things that you've been doing. Stop acting the way that you've been acting. Stop going where you've been going. Stop holding on to what you've been holding on to. Prepare yourselves, consecrate yourselves, and be holy because God is a holy God. And you're calling yourself his child. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't want there to be any confusion. This is not any insinuation that there's something we can work up inside of ourselves to make ourselves holy. This is not talking about a, a salvation experience. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've never been cleansed by His blood. You've still got your debt of sin on you. That's not the person that this is talking about. This is talking about the blood-bought believer child of God who says, I belong to Jesus Christ. He is not saying clean yourself up for salvation. He's talking about looking different as a result of your salvation because of what Jesus has done in your life, because of who your father is, because of where your identity lies as a Christian. You should clean yourself up. You should do things differently. You shouldn't lay in the muck and the mire that you laid in before. You should consecrate yourselves. Why? Because he is holy. And if he is your father and you identify with him, you should desire to be holy too. More than 600 times in Scripture, the word holy, holiest, or holiness is used to describe our God. That doesn't even include synonyms like sanctified or set apart or becoming a sanctuary or any of those words. That's literally holy, holiest, or holiness. Those words over 600 times in the holy writ of Scripture are used. It's clear if you look all the way back. Through Genesis. It's clear all the way through the book of Genesis. It's clear all the way through scripture. But the first time the word holy is specifically used in Exodus chapter 3. As God is talking to Moses, he says, you don't come near this burning bush until you take off them sandals. Because the ground that you stand on, Moses, is holy ground. Because it's in the presence of a holy God. The first time the Holy Spirit uses this word in Scripture, it is a suggestion that Moses, you got to change something. 
in order to be in the presence of God. You've got to get rid of something. That, when it talks about taking his sandals off, it's a, it's a picture of shaking off the things of this walk of this world, the things that you step on and pick up on your sandals. It's literally saying, take off the world when you're in the presence of God. You've got to get rid of those things that you were doing before. You've got to change something to be in the presence of a holy God. The scripture clearly speaks to the holiness of God and his work in scripture speaks to to the holiness of God. Did you know that everything that God ever did was perfect? The only thing God ever created that isn't holy is man. And he calls us and he provides a way for us to be holy. Our separation from him was not because he moved away from us. It's because we moved away from him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, just think about it. By definition, perfection can only do perfect things. His house in Psalms 11.4 is called a holy house. The mountain in Psalms 15.1 is called a holy hill. The place where man was called and spoke to by God in Exodus 3.5, we just mentioned it was called holy ground. His prophets are called holy prophets in Acts 3.21. If you'll excuse me, I got too excited. The tabernacle of God was called the holy of holies in Hebrews 9.3. His people are called to be a holy nation in 1 Peter 2.9. His commandments are called holy statues in 2 Peter 2.21. And David wrote in Psalms 103.1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. This Bible that we preach out of and read today is called, what? The Holy Bible. Why? Because it is the inspired work of a holy God. And everything that he does is holy. His work, recording in his word, says if you ever get a glimpse of him, if you ever get a glimpse of him, you, like the cherubs, will say, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Did you ever think about When they get a glimpse of his holiness, when they get a glimpse of him, the first thing that they notice is his holiness. You know, they could have sang, love, love, love is God. And that would have been accurate because scripture teaches us that God is love. They could have said, powerful, powerful, powerful is God. And that would have been accurate. God is an all-powerful God. They could have said, merciful, merciful, merciful is God. That would have been right. He is certainly a merciful God. But when they get a glimpse of God, what do they say? They recognize that he is holy. They say, holy, holy, holy is Lord God. Because his mercy and his love and his power and his grace and all of those things come from the fact that he is a holy God. Look with me at verse 17 real quick though as we want to recognize another part of the recording of his holiness and that is that his holiness is reflected in his wrath. Peter writes in verse 17 and he's basically saying if you're going to call his name father, if you're going to call on him as your father, you're going to call yourself a Christian, you better recognize That this father you call upon, he judges with impartiality. He he doesn't take favorites. He doesn't have any favoritism in the judgment. His wrath reflects his holiness in that every time we see his wrath on sin, it echoes that God is a holy God. When Adam and Eve sinned and were banished from the garden, the angel that was placed there says a few things, but very clearly it says that God is a holy God and he will not put up 
with your sin. When the waters of judgment fell in the days of Noah, each raindrop said that God is holy and he will not tolerate sin. When the fire and brimstone fell at Sodom and Gomorrah, each thud of of brimstone falling said, God is holy and he will not put up with our sin. His holiness is reflected in his wrath. When Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit, you better believe that their ceasing to breathe was a reflection that God is a holy God. And I know that that's not really an attribute that we like to mention. But if we don't understand that his wrath is a reflection of our holiness, then we miss a clear picture of who God is. I once heard a story. I heard a story of a traveling preacher who got stopped in a little town for speeding. And he went to the court and the judge let him in. And when the judge let him in and he realized who he was, that he was the evangelist that had come through town a few months before, the judge decided to dismiss the ticket. And the preacher was obviously very thankful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, judge. Thank you for showing mercy to me. Thank you for for showing mercy to me. You're acting similar to how God acts to us as sinners in showing mercy to me. And, And the preacher said he got out into the parking lot. And he was hit that he had incorrectly represented God to that judge. And he waited until the day was over. He went back in and he found the judge and he said, I don't want to give you the wrong message about God. You see, I committed a crime and no one was punished and that was very generous. But no one paid and that is not like God at all. Because you see, when sin is committed, when sin was committed, God in his holiness may forgive the sinner, but he cannot forgive the sin. God, because of his holiness, cannot excuse that sin with no one having to pay for it. Every single sin of man had to be paid for by something. Someone had to suffer the wrath of God upon every single sin. So when you are forgiven of your sin, it doesn't mean the sin is excused. It means that there was something else that paid the penalty for your sin. An earthly judge may let you walk away, but a holy God simply cannot do that. And so how is the one who is holy able to be the justifier and the one who punishes God? My friends, that is Jesus Christ. That's the cross of Calvary where God reconciled his holiness and his love in that a holy God could not accept us in our state of sin. But a loving God reached out to us and offered us redemption in that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. 1 Peter 2 and 24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. And you know why? Because God is holy. And he could not let any little sin, not one thought, 
not one deviant mindset, not one moment of laziness, not one moment of anger, not one moment of fear, not one moment of a lack of faith, not one time when you didn't do what you were supposed to do, not one time when you did do what you weren't supposed to do. It had to be punished, but bless God for Jesus Christ who bore those sins on that tree that I might not have to suffer that myself. Because the punishment was taken for me by Jesus Christ. We see that he's a holy God in the recording of his holiness. We also see it in the results of his holiness. God is holy. And that plays out in many of the other attributes of God that we see. Last week we saw his faithfulness on display. And that was a result of his holiness. But one of the things about God being a holy God is that he is unmutable or unchangeable. Now that doesn't mean that he does not change. That literally means that he cannot change. God cannot change. In Malachi he says, I am the Lord, I change not. The writer of Hebrews says he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you really think Think about that. It's not that complicated that God can't change because you see, He has to be the same because He's already holy. If you change, what do you change for? You either change for the better or you change for the worse, don't you? You don't change to stay the same. That's the very opposite of the word change to begin with. And so it bears to mention that if He changed, if God was able to change, then that would imply that he had to change for the better or for the worse. If he changed for the better, that would be saying that he wasn't already holy. If he changed for the worse, that would be saying that because he desired to be worse, that he wasn't holy to begin with because he was able to have an unholy thought and he wouldn't be a holy God. And so what does that mean to us practically, though, that God, because he is holy, is unchangeable, is is unmutable? What does that mean to us practically? Well, it simply means that if God was against it yesterday... He's still against it today. If God was against it in the days of Paul, he's still going to be against it in the days of our children's children's children if he doesn't come back. Don't you come to me. Don't you come to me in my office. Don't you come to your friend. Don't you come to some other pastor with this comment, well, God has given me a peace God has given me a piece about having an affair on my husband because he was mean to me and made me do it. Don't you come to me and say, God has given me a piece about verbally abusing my wife because, because she, she just makes me do it in the way that she treats me. Don't you come to me and say, God has given me a piece about what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. God has given me a piece about these drugs that I'm abusing because I just got to have them to get through the day. God has given me a piece Uh, about going out and and running wild up and down the roads. God has given me a piece about watching this pornography because my wife doesn't do what she's supposed to do according to Scripture. God has given me a piece about whatever you want to come in my office and tell me that God has given you a piece about. I'm going to give you a really fancy Greek word. It's called baloney and it means that's a bunch of junk. If God was against it in the days of Paul and Paul says what about sexual immorality? He says it's an abomination. Then it's still 
an abomination today. It doesn't mean you won't do it. It don't mean you won't slip. But it does mean you can't justify it by saying God has somehow changed his opinion on what it is. My friends, if God was against it yesterday, he is still against it today. And he can't give you no peace about it. There is no peace for the child of God when they're living in sin. If God was for it way back then, he's still for it today. If he was against it way back when, he's still against it today. Ah, oh, preacher, you're just one of them old-fashioned preachers. You need to get hip and get with it and get some skinny jeans. And I tried. They ripped. They became holy jeans. I don't think so. Because he's unchangeable, but he's also intolerant. He's unchangeable, but he's also intolerant. Now, I know that's not a very popular word in the world. I'm not supposed to say intolerant. It's not politically correct, but... Over 12 million Americans fell victim to identity theft last year. But I would say the number one case of identity theft or a false presentation of someone. You know what identity theft is. It's when you get your credit card statement or your bank statement or you get that fall call from the bank and they tell you how you're enjoying your vacation in Tahiti and you've never left Lebanon. You're a victim of identity theft. Somebody out there is walking around pretending to be you. I got my identity stole last year. They were able to buy two Big Macs before they ran out of money. The bank called me and said, we're going to give you an extra hundred in addition to what they did because we're not sure how you're making it anyway. But identity theft, someone walking around pretending to be you, acting like they're you, living like they're you, presenting your name, presenting your stuff. They may carry your social security number. They may carry uh, some, some other form of identification numerically of you, but they're pretending to be you and they're just not really you. But I believe that the number one case of identity theft in our country and in our world today is the identity theft of Jesus Christ. We got the football stadium, Jesus, the one that we can pray to right before the ball game. We got the funeral home, Jesus. The one where we talk about how much we love Jesus when somebody's dead. Our officials, some like to use what I call political Jesus or election Jesus. They use Jesus' name to gain momentum in an election year and then go back to doing whatever in the crap they were doing before they ever mentioned his name to begin with. We have the Jesus that won't bother you about your sin but despises everybody else's. We have the Jesus that will put up with your foul mouth because it's just the way you are. The Jesus that doesn't stop you when you're watching pornography or involved in sexual activity. And, and this love of God, this, this, this God of mercy, this God who thinks everything's okay is peddled in our society so readily today. And he has a lot of characteristics of the identity of the real Jesus. God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. But if you want to know if the Jesus that you're calling your Jesus is the real thing, then I want you to, to take his fingerprints 
And I want you to look down in there and I want you to see, does it say this about him? Does it say that God is holy? God is holy. Because that's one attribute that cannot be falsified. It cannot be falsely presented. Someone who is not holy cannot present themselves as if they are. Only a holy God can make that claim. If you are serving a God that doesn't give you conviction of heart and conviction of soul when you sin, then my friend, you have been deceived by an imposter. Because his holiness, we see in Habakkuk 1.13, it says that you are so holy, God, that your eyes cannot look upon wickedness with favor. He is intolerant to our sins. So we have the recording of his holiness We have the results of his holiness. And let us look quickly at the response to his holiness. Look at verse 14 with me. Let's let's read that together. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts as in your ignorance. Peter's writing here and he's saying, listen, before you got saved, there was an excuse to the way you were acting. You were acting in ignorance in your sins. An unsaved man talks like an unsaved man. An unsaved woman lives like an unsaved woman. Why? Because she's unsaved. Because he's unsaved. Of course they look, talk, act, smell, think, respond like people are unsaved. Don't get mad at them for acting in ignorance. Peter says... You can't be obedient and you're acting in ignorance. They can't be held to the standards of God. They don't yet know God. They're walking around in ignorance. Don't get mad at them. Pray for them. Pray that they'll come to know Jesus. Pray that they'll become a child of God. Don't belittle them and chastise them. Love them. But for the child of God, for the one who has already called him Christ, If you say you've been saved, then then you no longer can live in that ignorance. You can't claim the excuse of ignorance. You can no longer say, it's okay because I don't know better. It's like like my children. As they grow up and they do things. Every once in a while they'll do something. I think that's got to be the dumbest thing that any human being in the world has ever in their life done. And then I look at it and I think to myself, I never taught them not to do that. They don't know any better. Well, I can't punish them for that. I can't punish them for doing what they didn't know not to do. But my friends, once I have taught them not to do that, if they continue to do that, I'm not being a loving father if I let them continue to do that. It's the same for the child of God. When you were in ignorance, you couldn't help but live in sin. But now that you've accepted Christ, you are called to a holy standard because you have been saved by a holy God. And if you continue to walk in that way, you can't no, you can't no longer claim ignorance and you can't expect God to look over it. What does it say in verse 15? Don't conform yourselves to your former lusts. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In one or two of your behaviors. It says all. It's another Greek word. I taught you one earlier. I'm going to teach you one now. The Greek word for all right there literally means every single one of them. 
Literally, you can translate it all the way back. It means every one of them. When it says all of your conduct, all of your behavior, some translations say all your conversations, the word, it all basically means the same thing. It means every single thing you do, you ought to be conducting yourselves in a manner of holiness like God. Literally means all that you do. That means one response that we need to give to God for his holiness is that we too should walk in holiness. We too should be striving to walk in a sanctified manner. One glimpse of the holiness of God should change the words we say and the things we do and the places we go and the sins that we condone and coddle. You see, the holiness of God, you can't tell someone, don't judge me for my sin. My sin's no worse for yours. You're right. Your sin's no worse than mine. They are both nasty, terrible abominations that stink. They are both abominations in the eyes of God. And I can't justify mine by looking at yours. I can't say, well, don't you judge me for mine because yours are just as bad. You've done just as many bad things as I have. I don't care. I'm not measuring myself against other sinners. I'm measuring myself against the holy God and I have fallen short. But I desire to walk in his holiness. You know, I still get tickled sometimes. The longer that I've been the pastor here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church, the more people in the community starts to recognize that I'm the pastor at Rocky Valley Baptist Church. And the more people start to recognize that, the more often that this happens when I'm in the store. Somebody will say something that is absolutely positively degrading to a holy God. Now look at me and say, I'm sorry, preacher. Now don't you take what I'm about to say the wrong way. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I appreciate that there is still some respect for the office of pastor in this community where we live. But there is something wrong. There is something bad wrong if you claim to be a Christian. And you're more concerned than I heard it than that God did. If you are more worried that I saw you leaving that place. Or that somebody from your church saw you leaving that place. Than you are that God saw you while you were in that place. My friend you have way too high a view of me. And way too low a view of God. You shouldn't be concerned so much with what other people have seen. You should be concerned with how you're living your life because you are a child of a holy God. Scripture says in verse 17 that we'll respond in another way and then we'll be done. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in your time of your stay here, in what? Fear. Now, I am going to tell you about this word, and I'm not joking this time. That word literally means conduct yourselves in reverence or in awe. If you call yourself a child of God, then everything you do, everything you say, everything you are should be conducting yourself in reverence and in awe of the holiness of God. And what in the world did it say that the angels and the cherubs did when they saw the holiness of God? They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They began to sing a song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God 
Almighty. Simply put, when you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, you ought not have to be begged to come to church. And when you get here, you ought not have to be prodded to worship a holy God. Once you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, you ought not have to be kicked in the pants to to lift up his holy name. Once you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, it ought not be a matter of whether that song tickled your fancy. It ought to be a matter of who that song was about. It ought not have nothing to do with whether or not you like that style of music or, or that style of preaching or that style of whatever. It ought to matter if the holy God whom you serve was put on display. It ought to move you to worship. I don't got to like every song that's sung, but if it's about God, I can still worship him in the middle of it. I don't got to like every preacher that's ever come and preached with a different style than which I preach. I know sometimes I get loud, sometimes I get quiet, sometimes I cry, I can't sit still, I got ADHD, DDD, and I can't stay where I'm at sometimes, and I get off my notes. I realize I don't tickle the style of every professional pastor examiner that ever existed, but my friends, one thing that I can promise you I'll do every time is I'll open the holy book of God and I'll put a holy God on display and I'll try my best to get out of the way and let you see God and if that's what we do it don't matter if he's loud or quiet if the preacher opens the holy book you ought to be able to worship I can't stand hearing somebody say well they just they sung them old hymns and I just couldn't get into it They played all them new songs, and I just, I can't get into that. That preacher, he yelled the whole time. That preacher never yelled. Whatever. You go find your place to go every single week where you do worship the most freely and where you do enjoy the the way the preacher preaches and the way the choir sings. But if you're somewhere and it ain't tickling your fancy, I don't give a rip. It ain't about you no way. If you came into this house this morning saying, I can't wait to get entertained by Brother Jason, I don't know how to stand on my head and I'm too fat to run anymore. (laughs) But if you came this morning expecting to see a holy God, you came for the right reason. We should respond by walking a different way. And we should respond by worshiping a holy God. So how do we close this message this morning? I'm going to ask you to examine your walk with God. Is it different from when you first saw the holiness of God? Do you you walk differently than you walked when you first got saved? If you do, then you need to come and make a commitment to God this morning to get back to that place where you're walking in His holiness. You need to get back to that place where you're looking to walk a more sanctified walk. Make a commitment that you're not going to be distant from God. Can I tell you something, my friends? Because I hear this all the time. I just don't feel as close to God as I once did. I don't feel the joy that I once had in my salvation. Thanks just I just can't serve him with the gladness that I once served him with. I just don't feel the same things I used to feel about God. Well, my friends, can I tell you who didn't move? It was God. And the problem might very well be that you need to take off your sandals. Because you can't be as close to God because you still got the world attached to you. And he says you got to change something. Before you can stand in my holy presence. So won't you leave that at the altar this morning. That's between you and God. Won't you leave it there. Say I choose to take my sandals off. I choose to leave the world at the altar. And stand close to a holy God. Somebody here just needs to respond. Just like the angels did. Somebody here needs to respond and say. 
God is holy. And I just want to come at your feet, God, and I just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your holiness. I just want to pray a prayer of awe and respect because of your holiness. I just want to come and I want to lay it at your feet, God, and just say simply, God, you're holy. But there's somebody here this morning. Somebody here this morning who's been living a life. Trying to pay their own way. Trying to get good enough to come to a holy God. Trying to, trying to fix enough of your sins that you feel comfortable giving your life to Jesus. Can I just tell you this? You can't do it. Because he is holy and you are not. And that is the biggest problem that we as people have. It ain't finances, it ain't money, it ain't love, it ain't lust. The biggest problem we have is that God is holy and we are not. And the only way that we can be counted holy is to come under that blanket of Jesus Christ and accept that salvation, accept that payment for our sins that he paid on Calvary's tree. So won't you come this morning and say, I want to be saved. I want to be reconciled to my holy God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. God, that you are holy. God, we thank you that while you are holy, Lord God, that while the only part of your creation that fell away from the holiness in which you created us was, was mankind, Lord, and yet you loved us enough not to leave us in that state, Lord, that you sent Jesus Christ, that we might be reconciled to you. And God, let the children of God this morning come and say, I have not been living a consecrated life. I've not been living a sanctified life and I wish to recommit to follow a holy God this morning. God, throughout the house, let your children say, I just want to thank you for being a holy God. Let us all stand in a moment and worship you through the singing of this invitation hymn, God, and give courage to the one who's never accepted you, that they would come and let this morning be their day of reconciliation. Let this be their day of freedom. Let this be the day that they lay it at your feet and say, no longer will I wander in darkness. I want to live for Christ. And God, we praise you and we thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. And I promise you that we will always give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And it is in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.